meeting live. Go to oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Uh, I'm John Kieran, compulsive leader and the leader for this meeting, or the speaker for this meeting. So now is the time for a leader to qualify. The strangest thing is that I have not qualified. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. The one thing I've done since the pandemic started is I've done a series of, uh, like, talks for uh, the OA Spanish community, which is a very strange thing because I have to speak for a while, and then I have to wait when it's translated and then speak for a while and wait again, and, and it's really a strange kind of thing. And uh, it came about because I was right be- as COVID was hitting, I was supposed to do a uh, I was supposed to do a re- retreat in Madrid and couldn't do it, which is a bummer because I've never been to Madrid. Anyway, um, and then the other thing, I haven't had a chance to be on here very much because I started a new career uh, as a drug and alcohol counselor, and um, I've been working very long hours, until, and so uh, Saturday morning's a chance to get to sleep. Anyway, enough about me. Um I started as a compulsive eater as far back as I can remember. I'm the child of two alcoholics, and they taught me well that there's if there's something outside that I can put in me, it'll make me feel better if I'm anxious, if I, uh, I'm upset, uh, if I'm depressed. And so I did, and I grew up, and I was the little fat kid all the way through school and into you know into later life. But it was it was a miserable time. I always say it. it you know, it was not, it's not easy for me to be a compulsive eater. It wasn't easy for me to be a compulsive eater as an adult, but it was just miserable as a kid because kids are just brutal and call you every name in the book and even beat you up because you're fat. Um, so anyway, I'm going to keep my trunk log a little short, uh, my food log, um, and talk about uh, other things. But so I went through high school and, uh, I was really heavy and, uh, at the age of like 17 or 18, I found alcohol. And I know this is OA, not AA, but it, it is an integral part of my story that I switched over from food to alcohol at that point. And it was the first time in my life I was ever able to lose a deep, almost all of my weight and, and keep it off for a while. Because essentially I switched my, um, my forms of getting sugar <laughs> into alcohol, which is, you know, close to sugar. Um, and and so I was able to lose a decent amount of weight. I did it in the stupidest way possible. But again, I'm a compulsive person. I would just not eat for like a week at a time. And then I would binge for a night. Right. And then I will not eat for another week and then binge. Well, you know, if you do that and you're a 20 something or 19 something year old male, you will lose weight. But it's not the way you should lose weight. Uh, but it told me early on there was something in there. I look back at it now. There was something that knew I couldn't really control this. There was no dimmer switch on my food. There was off and on. And the only way I could get to any decent weight was to keep it off as long as I could. And then when it popped on, it, it popped on. But I got to that weight by doing that and by crazy exercise, it would run and run until I literally passed out along the side of the road. It happened more than once. But I got to a normal weight, and uh, I had my first relationship ever, and um, I was in that. But I, I was sort of a, it was sort of a three-way uh, relationship between uh, her and I and Jack Daniels. And it eventually, Jack finally got the, the better of me, and... Uh, I was off the races with alcohol. I ended up losing that relationship. 
And in uh, December of 1980, um, I um, came into AA. I didn't stay sober. I had a relapse there. But um, on October 17th of 1981, um, I got sober. I've been sober. It'll be uh, 40 years in October. And I got my first abstinence. And um, I always joke it was the, it was the pink cloud abstinence. I, you know, if anybody's ever had the pink cloud abstinence, God bless you, hold on to it. Because the trouble was it was so easy, and I didn't have cravings, and I couldn't understand why you people were all relaxing. Um, eventually, I gave it away because, oh, well, if it was this easy the first time, it'll be this easy the second time. But it wasn't. It was miserable. And I went on this off and on and off and on relapse. And I would get a decent amount of time, and then I would relapse again. And this went on for, for, for a number, a number of years. Um, I would even get as much as, you know, maybe a year or two of sort of, and I would call it imperfect abstinence, but it was really... I joke it was about, you know, making your own abstinence. So it was ever, you know, at one point I was, oh, it's three meals and a snack. But what it really was was three meals and a snack, <laughs> you know, that could last all night. And, and that snack would, you know, make it so I ate more than my first, you know, three meals. Um, but uh, and then it got really miserable. Uh, and I moved to L.A. in, uh, what was it, 95 and I could not stop eating and, you know, that whole cunning, baffling and powerful thing, you know, that, I, I, you know, I remember at one point I'm leading a meeting uh, here we have in L.A. called Artists in Abstinence. And I would lead the meeting and I, you know, as a secretary, I had a sponsor. I was sponsoring. I was the delegate to the intergroup. And I would leave Artists in Abstinence and I'd go to the donut shop, you know. And first of all, I shouldn't be leading a meeting and I shouldn't be sponsoring. But I just, I left that donut shop going, why the hell am I doing this? I'm not, I'm not sentenced to OA. If I don't want to go, I don't have to go. But that's, you know, that horrible cunning and baffling thing. And this is a person who was going to meetings for, you know, damn near almost 15 years. And I don't mean occasionally going. I was going regularly. But, you know, that whole knowledge of our disease alone cannot cure us was the thing, you know. And eventually. Eventually, I went to another program for a while that had a very rigid, strict uh, way of eating, and I needed that at that point because nothing else, I couldn't be trusted to make my own food plan. It just didn't work, even when I had a great sponsor who right, tried to work with me. Um, I'm always mentioning that other uh, group because it was what got me um, abstinent. And then eventually I came back to OA, and I was able to handle handle it. You know, one of the problems that I had with OA is everybody had a different food plan. So I would be sitting there and going, well, if she gets to have sugar, I want to have sugar. And if he gets to have, you know, a you know, something, I can have it. And it's just not that way. We all have a different food plan. I can eat certain things that other people can't eat, and other people can eat things that I can't eat. And I had to find a way to find peace with that, you know, and I finally did. But I, I look back at that relapse cycle, and I always talk about it. It happens to be a particular um, sort of cause for me to talk to people who have gone on that relapse cycle. Because I tend not to call it a relapse. You know, over in, in AA, you know, a person goes out there, usually out for a while. And, and you know, and it isn't usually a cycle. But in OA, it's, it's very prevalent to have somebody do what I did. A week on, a week off. A month on, a month off. Um, 
And what I saw looking back was that my disease um, fooled me into thinking that these times I was coming back were really abstinence, you know. And what I realized, I was on a multi-year in and out, in and out cycle. And I had deluded myself into thinking those in times were really abstinence. And and I can look now and know they really weren't, you know. I uh, The way I, I talk about it is is imagine going and running for like 500 yards and then sitting down. And then after a little while, getting up and running another 500 yards and sitting down. And you do that for 26.2 miles. Now run a marathon. Yet there's a huge difference, right? And that's what I couldn't get. And the other thing, I, you know, it was that my disease told me, you know, I would come to meetings and say, I'm powerless, you know, because I'm a really good student. You tell me what to say, I'll, I'll parrot it right back to you. And I'd be like, I'm powerless, I'm powerless. And then I would go eat, <laughs> you know, and then they'd come back and say, I'm powerless, I'm powerless, and go eat again. And how powerless did I really think I was in retrospect? You know, when I was going out, it wasn't like I went out and said, oh, the hell with OA, this is bullshit, I'm not coming back. No, but in the in my head, I was saying, when I'm ready, I will come back and I will get abstinent again, which is the opposite of powerlessness, right? And what it took me so long to see, and again, I wish I could say I was this, this brainiac that saw it in the forward direction, but for me, I could only see it turning around and looking back after the fact is that I am powerful over the food in the small picture. You know, it took me a while to see that. But I'm not powerful in the big picture. And that's the thing I couldn't see, you know. Uh, I was a film major, and I always said, you got to pull the camera back to the establishing shot. In other words, get a chance to see the big picture. And again, the big picture was in and out and in and out and in and out. And I realized that that, that had to change, you know. and um, we used to say this sort of hardcore thing in, in a way years ago. We don't eat no matter what, you know. But I heard somebody say it a much better way. She said her sponsor told her, if you're a compulsive eater and you've made food an option, it's always going to be the only option, right? It's going to be the path of least resistance. And, and I realized it was true. And to me, my definition of abstinence now is mostly food cannot be an option. It cannot be an option to, 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 you know, being upset, being, you know, sad, being happy, it, it, it is meant to refuel my body. And that's not to say I can't enjoy it, but it's the motive with which I eat that I have to watch out for. And again, this disease is, is just so, you know, incredibly powerful. And the steps were, were really the key for me. You know, I always talk about the first three steps. I'll say it to my patients at, at, at my rehab, uh, uh, think of the first three steps as step one is uh, you can't do it. If you could have done it yourself, you'd have done it by now. <laughs> you know, step two is look around that, those rooms. There are people who have done it. And step three is go ask them how they did it and then take some direction. Try something different. You know, you drove the car into the ditch. Go let somebody else get it out. And and that was one of the things that I began to see. And I did, you know, did a third. I did a you know fourth and fifth step. Uh, went, went through six and seven. I blew by those as as did the people who wrote the book, uh, and then worked on my my um, amends. And then I, I was doing I did ten, eleven, and twelve. It, it, looking back now, the real key for me once I hit maintenance was steps six and seven that I jumped over. 
I needed to look at my character defects and, 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 and work on those. And again, you know, I believe, I believe that I have a higher power that is my partner in recovery, but it's not my servant. So I have to do my part. I have to take the boat I was given and row it, you know, to the shore of recovery. And, and for me, I had to work on my character defects. You know, they say, you know, in step seven, you know, pray that they'll be removed. Well, I will pray that they be removed, but I need to do the work. In other words, if I have a character defect, and I used to do it, you know, 75% of the time, and if I keep working, I keep working, I get it to, you know, 35 and to 25. I believe I'm doing my part. My higher power will decide when it's 0%, but I have to do my part in all of this. I really believe in, in, a, in a grounded uh, kind of a, a spiritual thing that, that happens in AA and OA, you know. And the key to that for me is God, myself, and another person. Because when I came back from these, these relapses, I needed a higher, I needed a, a sponsor more than I needed a higher power, you know. Now, I can look and realize my sponsor was a conduit to that higher power. But right then, I needed just real help in doing it. And, and, and then I can work on these other things because I really believe my character defects, which, by the way, I don't like that phrase at all uh, because it sounds, you know, the word defect is in that. And I don't believe I'm defective. I'm exactly the way I was, you know, born and meant to be. Um, I prefer, like, um, uh, character liabilities. Or for me, they were, these were defense mechanisms because I grew up in a crazy household. And, and, and I always say that when you grow up in some kind of trauma or crazy household, what you do, these aren't insane things. These are sane things done in an insane environment. The trouble is I left that insane environment and I took all of those those bad, you know, defense mechanisms with me long past the time that I, I needed them. And uh, I really needed to work on that a lot. And and I did. And, I'm, you know, you know, I think I can I can deal with the, uh, you know, uh, when I hear people, I hear people in some groups say I, I am a recovered compulsive eater. You know, because in the uh, beginning of the big book, it says we are 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless disease. And in, in terms of, of uh, the food, yeah, I can say I'm recovered. Now, I can get unrecovered really quickly, but I'm recovered. But being recovered spiritually and emotionally, I think that's going to happen about 10 minutes after they plant me in the ground, you know. But I can keep working to do the best I can and to be the best person. Because uh, if I work on that, I, like, I start to like myself. And, and to me, that's a real key because a person who likes themselves doesn't want to go out and do self-destructive things like compulsive eating. But it took me a long time and it took a lot of work. I just, I, and this happens, I see this a lot in rooms. Other people think much more highly of us than we think of ourselves. And five I, five minutes. I, what, five minutes? Did you say? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Five thanks. minutes. No, no problem. The reason I think that is, is that in our brains is our memories of every bad thing we've ever done in our lives. And so, of course, I, you can't, a person outside can't see them. But when people would praise, praise me, there was a little part that said, yeah, but you don't know the whole story, you know. And, and it just took me a long time to realize. And again, that's part of what steps four and five are supposed to do. 
but there is still a little part of me that that had a had trouble realizing that but you know again what the program taught me is if i do four and five i pretty much can say here's the end of that of that story and now I'm on the beginning of a new story, which is me in recovery, me trying to be the best person I can, flawed as I am, uh, and, and I can work forward, and I can feel better about that. And and I do today, and and I can only thank, you know, my, you know, my higher power in this program, and I will just say therapy. Therapy was a huge thing for me. Working a program and getting some outside help was, was a key for me, because I think the best sponsor in the world can only get down to a certain level of my problems, whereas a trained professional can help me un, you know, un, unveil the things that really were bothering me, most of which were in my childhood, and, and I kept bringing them forward. And, and today, you know, it, it, it's great. I, I have, you know, quite a bit of time, and, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much time. The only, first of all, the only one who cares about how long my my absences are the what is it 101 people who are listening to this meeting, um you know nobody cares out there, it, it, and you know at the end of the day I, I always say it's like uh, it's like we're all climbing up the outside of the Empire State Building you know, and so you're on the 20th floor and somebody else is on the 40th floor and I'm on the 80th floor, we're all just one let go away right, and, and the higher up you are you know the bigger the splat. You know, but the thing is, the higher up you are, the less afraid of heights you become and you start to think you've got this nailed. And I've just seen this over and over. And we, you know, I'm in a rehab where we have one woman I haven't come back after 20 years of sobriety. And they all say the same thing. I got to the point. I got this. I don't need any more help. And I'm going to need help to the day I die. You know, it isn't like Bill Wilson walked away from AA, you know, at a certain point. He was there till the day he died, as was Dr. Bob, because I have a chronic condition. And and I'll just say this and I'll end on this. They talk about in the second step insanity. And I always sort of bristled at that. I'm not insane. But I heard a perfect definition of insanity that fit my addictions. And it said a state of mind that prevents normal perception. And I was thinking, that is it. That's the thing. Uh, you know, you think about what sanity is. Uh, to me, sanity is m- making good, normal decisions. All all the time, we make a thousand decisions. We get up, we decide what we're going to have for breakfast, and we're going to take a left out of this door. All these things, and we usually do them really well, which is why we're all so frustrated, because we have really good brains, and they have worked perfectly in all these other areas of our life, except this one, or in my case, two or three. Um, Why is that? Well, because I have a disease that prevents normal perception. And how did I do all those other things that I do really well? I did it via perception. We sight, sound, my brain, my thinking. But the trouble is when it comes to this, my food, my disease has corrupted my data. I've got a really good computer, but now I'm dealing with corrupted data as a result of that. There's a story in the big book you guys have probably heard about Jim who goes to a bar and, and, and he's sober and he takes a glass of whiskey and puts it in, a, you know, in milk and says, oh, this is, it'll be okay. And we all laugh at that. But you know who probably laughed about it too? Jim, just not until the next day, right? How many of us have done something where we go, oh, my God, what the hell was I thinking? And, and so to me, 
I work on this every day. I, I try to do service. This year has been a little tough, but people can tell you I've done a lot of service in this program and to give back because, you know, I appreciate this. I appreciate the fact that there is a 12-step program or I would have been dead a long time ago, either from compulsive eating or from drinking. And so my thank you to my higher power is to try and do as much as I can to stay in that 12-step of passing it on, this being one of the things. So anyway, I'll stop and um, we'll, we'll uh, <laughs> hear some sharing in a second. Thanks. Um, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own. They are not uh, those of o Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you asked a question la last week, please wait for the first three questions that have been asked before raising your hand. Uh, if you do have a question, please uh, click the raise your hand icon. And can somebody tell me, am I supposed to be doing that, or is there like a secretary supposed to be doing that? Uh, normally, normally you do it, but if you want us to help you, we will. No, it's okay. I just, I didn't want, I wanted to go along meeting protocol. So um, I will do that and let's see. I have Michael S. as the first person who wanted to share. Thank you, John. Um, can you please share about some of the warning signs that you saw before your before going out and you know some people talk about it as like prelapse and any thoughts you have on what you would do differently sure sure um i think the number one thing is to begin to step away from the oa program or whatever program it's so funny one of our things we do every week with this rehab is relapse warning signs for me, the number one thing is stepping away, thinking, okay, I don't need this, this that much, you know. And and I know that that's a big part of it for me. And that whole, I mentioned it earlier, hey, I got this now. And the thing about this disease is it's so cunning and baffling and powerful. It will figure out what to say to get you, you know. Um, I always joke about that this disease is like the world's best salesman. You know, if you think of some salesman you like, you know, they're smooth and they're slick and they're trying to make the sale, which in the case of this is to get us to eat. And imagine that salesman's in your head 24-7, right? And then imagine that salesman can read your mind. You know, if, if, if salesman could read your mind, you went to a car dealership, you'd walk out with a car because they would have all the answers. Well, that's what my disease does, but it also then wraps its, you know, arm around my shoulder and says, by the way, this is your idea. You know, it wasn't my idea. Any of that stuff, when I, that thing I talked about, you know, leaving the meeting and going, um, going to the donut shop, I didn't want to be compulsively eating or I wouldn't have been at the secretary and, and had a sponsor and been a sponsor. But in that moment of impulse, it convinces me it's my idea. And the other thing is that it will be, I always say this disease will be as subtle as it needs to be so as to be imperceptible. And, and the description I used was a movie years ago called Armageddon, and it was about this meteor heading to Earth. And uh, they knew they, they had to go out and, and deal with the meteor. They couldn't just blow the meteor up, or then it'd be like 15 meteors coming down. So they realized they had to go way, 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 way out in space and then land on the meteor and just nudge it just the slightest bit. And, and that's what my disease does. My, my disease knows today, it can't in my ear say, oh, John, go binge, go to that 7-Eleven. 
So it keeps backing up to find the place where it can, can get in and change the tra- trajectory of my recovery. And maybe in my case, it'll be, you go to too many meetings. Hey, you know, you're, 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 you know, a drug counselor now. You're on that damn Zoom all day. And then you got to deal about going to meetings. Uh, enough. And I know that was one of those little flashing signs I had to be careful of because that's how it's going to get me off course. And so you have to be, you know, there's a line from the American Revolution, uh, the, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. Well, I, I think the same is true about abstinence. The price of abstinence is eternal vigilance and staying close to people and being careful. Are you justifying or rationalizing some of the things you're doing with your food? And only you can answer that. So I hope that helps. Hey, Eileen. I see Eileen from up in Portland, I believe, unless you moved. Yes. You want to share? I'm still here. Thank you, John. Thanks so much for being here. It's good to see everybody. Um, I have a couple questions, if that's okay. Sure. Um, First of all, uh, just curious about the 10-step format that you use. And also, with regard to your character defects, have you uncovered more through time? And have stopped falling away. Sure. Have I recovered more? How much time do we have? Um, You know, I'm a great believer. You know, there's like two ways that you I've heard in AA you can work the program. One is to go through the steps and then just stay in 10, 11, and 12. But for me, I believe in going through the steps over and over because you keep peeling the onion. You keep finding more stuff, you know. Uh, either things you'd forgotten the first time around for a fourth step or things you didn't even realize were wrong on the first time around. You know, so, uh, for me, it's about peeling the onion. I was joking. They keep making more onion. <laughs> but, yeah, I start to look at that. And, and, again, for me, it's my character defects are like golf. You know, the, the, you become a good golfer by hitting as many good shots as you can as opposed to bad shots. And to me, I don't think I'm ever going to not hit bad shots. I'm just trying to make the ratio of good to bad. Uh, and for me, the 10 steps, the one thing I did the best, I, I really realized I grew up in a family that if, if you admitted you were wrong, you were a target. So I learned to be the most justifiable, justified person and through this mental gymnastics to be like, well, you said that and that made me say that, which made you say that. And that's why I said what I said. So, you see, you were the one that made me act like an asshole, <laughs> you know. And now I know if it's just so relieving to just as soon as you realize it, go, I screwed up. I'm so sorry. You know, I had that happen yesterday where I. I said something to a patient in a bad way, and she actually brought it up in group. And rather than get defensive, I said, you're absolutely right. I shouldn't have done that way. I don't use a formal 10-step. I know some people do. I've been in a group with people who do. Uh, For me, it's just find it out. And then also that little thing, I do it quite often, is when I'm laying in bed, before I'm falling asleep, you know, have the day go. Anything i got to deal with, you know, which is right in there on on, uh, page 84, you know, when we, you know, retire for the night. Uh, sometimes I just go right to bed, but sometimes I'm lucky. And for me, making the amends as quickly as you possibly can, that was the one thing I did best from the beginning. You know, it isn't like you start doing that as you work through the steps. That's when you start immediately, I think. And the, and the other thing is, I think, the more you have to make amends, and I wish I didn't have to make as many amends, the more you find yourself, like, thinking, is this something I'm going to have to make an amends over? So it's really good to see you, Eileen. I love the fact that all of our expatriate L.A. people can get back on the meetings. Yeah. 
Okay, thanks. Don. Hey, uh, we had two uh, questions from uh, for you from the chat. Uh, okay. One is, what is your bottom line abstinence? And the other is, uh, how do you uh, sponsor people? Ah, good question. Um, my bottom line abstinence, I think it was sort of said, you know, uh, who was it? It was uh, Randy C. used to say, um, my food plan is what I eat. My abstinence is what I don't eat, which I always thought was a pre- pretty good system. And also for me, I have a couple of non, um, non-food things. I, I was at the World Conference years ago when we put the thing in about compulsive food behaviors in addition to that. Because for me, I have to watch out for certain things. Uh, one is I, I have to have a separation between my meals of at least a couple hours. Otherwise, I'll, you know, oh, I had bread, you know, you know, I could have all three meals by nine o'clock in the morning. And, and I know I can't do that. I also have to be super careful about eating in the car. You know, that was one of my major things. There was a lady in program used to be in program who said, you know, the only things I ate were pushed through a window to me, you know, and I have to be really careful of that. Now, there are just occasional times where I'm so rushed, I have no choice, and I'm not necessarily eating the best of foods. I, You know, again, I try to stay away from uh, uh, carbs uh, and most carbs and, and definitely sugar. Um, I will, yeah, bread is really the one that's worse for me now than anything. And so I can, I usually only allow myself to have bread uh, when it's part of a sandwich, because this way, the you know, the protein-bread combination seems to keep me from really having any real urges. Um, though I will say, sometimes, I, you know, I, I can have a number of lunches where I don't have any of that. And when I do have, uh, occasionally have uh, something on lunch, I find I'm hungry earlier than I should be, you know, which is a sign for me. Because one of the things I've realized is there's two types of hunger. There's this, There's stomach hunger. And blood hunger, which is that when I eat a lot of carbs, I get a blood sugar spike. And then a certain amount of time later, it drops. And when it does, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm hungry. Now, the reality is I'm not really hungry, hungry the way I am when I don't eat for a long time. I am dealing with a blood sugar drop. But the thing is, I always put those two things together as hunger because they both had the same solution, which is go eat. And it took me a long time to realize that. So. Um, was there another question down where I answer them both done? Yeah, the other question was how do you sponsor? Oh, okay. Well, you know, the thing is, the people I sponsor now are long-timers. You know, uh, it's been a long time since I had an absolute newcomer. Uh, though when I did, I went through the big book. You, we would get together, and, and I would just ask them about their abstinence, and I would ask them how their food is. I, I tended to not want to be the food police. The one thing I always said is, I'm not the food police, but I'm the honesty police. So if, if you tell me in March you're not going to eat bread, and somewhere in passing in August you mentioned you're eating bread, I'm going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, didn't you tell me, <laughs> you know, and – you know, all I'm asking them is, is to talk about it, you know, and, and if you have a, a relapse, please, you got to be able to be honest with a sponsor. If you don't feel you can be honest, that's not the right sponsor for you, you know, because I needed to be as honest as I could. And I tell my sponsees, don't worry, if you have a relapse, I promise you I won't gain a pound. <laughs> you know, this is really about you hurting yourself. So let's talk about it. And, and for me, that works. And then, like I said, I went through the big book. We'd read about a page a day, talk about it, and then move on. And, you know, there's some of them less than a page a day because you know that there's there's pages in the big book you can blow through in a hurry. 
But there's things that are, you know, every paragraph is is deep. And I tended to stop at uh, page, I think it's 103 at the end of uh, uh, working with others, because that's sort of the end of the steps. I hope that helped. <laughs> whoever has. Five minutes. Uh, Ju- uh, Julie, I see you next. With A1A. Thanks, John. <laughs> Thanks, John. Um, what do you do when you find yourself regretting the past and wanting to shut the door on it? It's hard. You know, I was in, I was in, at one point in my life, I went to couples therapy. And one of the things the, the uh, therapist tried to get us to do is learn how to constructively argue. You know, not that arguing is ever great, but, and one of the things he said was, when in an argument, bringing up the past is a cheap shot. Because the other person can't do anything about it, and you're just beating them overhead over something they can't do anything about. And I started to realize, I should do the same with me. You know, beating myself over the head about things that happen is be- giving myself a cheap shot. And I realized that, you know, but I think it's, I'm still human. It comes up once in a while. I'll think of things I didn't go, oh, <laughs> you know, but I don't sit and obsess over them because I know there's not much I can do about it. So, thanks, Julie. Uh, hey, Bob. Bob Moore? Yeah. Hey, man. Hey, how are you? Oh, okay. Now I know. That Bob. <laughs> One of the problems is we don't know everybody's last name sometimes. All right. <laughs> great, great share. Um so what do you do or what did you do when that ugly disease crept in and said, no, you can have this. You can have this. I had to, you know, and again, it's so hard because it'll happen in the moment. And I, I just need to remember, no. And that thing about the salesman helped me because it helped me externalize the disease. You know, I if it's something coming at me that I can defend myself at with, I've got a much better chance of then me myself saying, well, I just changed my mind for the 500th time. If I can see that as, you know, oh, that's my disease, you know, because I always said that, that you know, with our disease, we can't hear how it sounds. It's it, because it sounds like all the other thoughts in our head. Uh, it's it's what we what you hear, what that thing says. You know, it would be great if our disease had like sound like Darth Vader, you know, John, go to 7-Eleven, buy food, you know. But it doesn't. So I have to listen for what it's saying. You know, it's saying, oh, go have that ice cream. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm going to how many meetings a week to keep me from eating ice cream? Um, but I guess it's not to say these things don't. God, even now, instant, I'm standing in line at Starbucks and, oh, look at that. That would be good. I'll order that. No, wait a minute. I don't know. <laughs> but it happens. I think it will happen for the rest of my life. It's just how quick can I realize, oh, wait, this is the disease, not me. So I hope that helps, Bob. Mark Host. <laughs> Hi, Mark. Hi, John. Uh, thank you for your share. Um, so how do you deal with sometimes when uh, or how, how have you dealt with uh, your parents uh, having the, you know, their uh, issues and then the fact that you used you came up with defensive and protective uh, attitudes? And sometimes when you see that, maybe either dealing with them or with others who have the same, uh, give the same attitudes. Yeah. Well, uh, my father died when I was about one year sober. And, and so that was, uh, and I really regret not having enough self-awareness to look at my part in things. I, you know, you know, I came out of a chaotic 
uh, childhood. So I spent a lot of time, oh, it's their fault, it's their fault, it's their fault. If you want to read a great story, go to the back of the big book and read Freedom from Bondage. Because this woman talks about having this resentment against her mother, and she used that resentment to justify all the bad things that ever happened in her life. And and at some point, I had to be able to take control. But I and I would have loved to have made my amends. I wouldn't. I don't really care, you know, if he ever made any amends to me. I would like to have cleaned my part of the street, but you know, my higher power decided uh, that wasn't going to happen. My mother was was easier because she was in recovery herself. I heard her ninth step to me. She told me the thing that was just totally on her mind that it just ate at her or something she did, and I didn't even remember it, <laughs> you know. Uh, but that's the thing. It's what's eating at us. That's the reason I don't like the, some of the programs and some of the things about, you know, you do your fourth step by answering questions because it should be about what bothers you. Maybe what just gnaws at my life is, is it, you, you would say, what's wrong with that and vice versa. And, you know, the other thing with parents is if they don't have this disease, they're never really going to understand. And I just have to accept that. You know, I don't have the gambling gene. And when I hear about people losing their house over gambling, my thought is, well, why don't you just not do that? Now, I can immediately say it's addiction, stupid. Um, but there is a second where I feel that. And it's sort of nice in a way to be in a place where I am a normie, because I'm not a normie in a lot of ways, but on that I, I am. Um, and so the other thing, you know, you've heard the joke about, you know, uh, our parents push our buttons because they installed them, you know, and time. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll wrap up with this. Um, when I, my, my mother was still alive and my grandfather was still alive, uh, my mother was taking care of my grandfather and I had to go over and my grandfather could be annoying. Okay. Not, not crazy, but annoying. And I came into the house, and and he did something annoying. I don't know what it was. And my mother went ballistic. And I'm sitting there going, okay, it was annoying, but it wasn't you. But what I realized is, to me, that thing was annoying. To her, it was annoying on top of a lifetime pile of stuff. And I, it took me a long time to realize, you know, I, I have to try and see them today not by based on the things they did in the past, because like I said, you know, it's a cheap shot. Anyway, it's great to see you guys. I'm sorry I didn't have a chance to uh, answer your question, Michael. Um, 